and there is uh, a lot of work of functional safety to make sure that uh, no single point of failure uh, can create uh, a loss of, of the product. I mean, the, the LiDAR needs to be, it's defined as an ACLB of uh, D, uh, which, which basically means that you know, it's 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 not okay to have any failure. Basically, uh, kind of like once in a, in a billion years or something like that. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex. Ro- Sorry. <laughs> And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education. But as Alex Roy always says, my views are mine alone. Um, and I'm also the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And Ed, Ed has no enemies. He's the most popular guy in transportation. And I'm Alex Roy, uh, the founder of the Human Driving Association, producer of Apex, the Secret Race Across America, the director of special operations at Argo AI, although I do not represent them on this show. And today we're all excited to have. Wait a second, Omer, wait, Omer, how do I pronounce your last name? You said it right, Omer, Kailaf. Who, who is joining us from InnoViz, and we're going to discuss a lot of things, but I really would like to start with why LiDAR is necessary, because it's the one thing that even competing LiDAR companies can agree, LiDAR is necessary. Can we start there? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's an easy one. <laughs> okay, Omer, it, the, the, I saw last week, one of my most popular tweets um, of recent memory was I saw uh, George Hotz, our friend uh, does vision-based, you know, ADAS and aftermarket systems. He said, you know, humans do not have spinning sensors on their heads um, uh, and they drive just fine. Ergo, LIDAR is a scam. And I quote tweeted that and said, um, humans are not born with flippers. Um, flippers help humans swim better. Ergo, are flippers a scam? So what is your simplest argument on behalf of LiDAR and why it is necessary for an autonomous vehicle? Sure. It's actually, it's quite easy. I mean, working with car companies like BMW, you, you learn a lot about how automotive industry works. So you might have heard, uh, you know, the ISO 262662, which is, it sounds like a curse, but basically, uh, you know, basically what it says is that for every feature in the car, which is related to safety, uh, there are definitions of, you know, how you need to design it. Okay? Because uh, when this feature, if this feature breaks and it creates hazard to people inside the car or outside the car, uh, you need to make sure that there is no single point of failure. Okay. And if, if something goes wrong, you should be able to notify the system or the driver or whatever. Now, an autonomous car, which means that uh, the car is uh, driven by a computer and not a human being, uh, cannot be in a position where a single point of failure uh, makes the car in a dangerous situation. Now, if you think about the different use cases that the car needs to go through, uh, one of those, for example, is being uh, aware of an object that might uh, turn over the car. And by... You know, just as an example, anything that is above one third of the tire of the car can make that happen at a certain velocity. Now, um, radars are unable to see small objects uh, at far at far long, uh, far range, right? Cameras can, 
uh, but uh, any uh, drop of water that can blur the camera or, you know, light that can saturate it or, you know, mud that can block it, eventually you need to have another sensor that can actually see the same issue, like the same problem. Um, so far, there, there was there is no other sensor uh, but LiDAR that can actually complement and provide redundancy uh, to the camera. So unless there would be, and, and maybe one day they will find a different sensor that can do it, there is no uh, sensor such as a LiDAR that can give complementary and redundancy for both cameras and, 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 and radars. And that's really simple. Are you sure that's the simplest one? Because mine, mine would be, <laughs> mine would be as simple as I've seen the very best drivers only using their eyes make mistakes. And if my life depends on it, and my baby's does, why not use all the sensors? Well, nice. I'll, I'll tell you something. So you know, uh, a few years ago there was a debate between um, using mono camera or stereo camera, right? Uh, Mobileye versus Bosch, as an example. And you know, it's easy to explain why two cameras might be better. You know, those are two. Um, and the difference in cost is not significant, right? Two cameras are slightly more expensive than two. And yet, uh, Mobileye managed to convince the market and basically dominate it with a mono camera. And just to save a few dollars. Uh, and I think when people talk about LiDARs, obviously cost of LiDARs is not a few dollars. So it's more than that. But still, you see that uh, the majority and, you know, basically all of the car companies, maybe except Tesla, uh, are planning to use a LiDAR to create that, that safety. And it's also, you know, and this is why Innovis uh, is coming to the industry with a solution that we believe that we eventually can reach the price point that can allow uh, scale. And that goes to the fundamental of the wavelength question. You mentioned that to eventually, um, you know, have a a more cost effective lidar um, is one of the one of the goals of Innovis. So, how when do you expect that to happen, and how do you plan to get there? Is it by marketing and selling to automakers to use for their ADAS systems, or is there another strategy? Um, so it's not. Uh, so I know some lighter companies are using marketing to solve the problem. <laughs> it's not. It's not what we do. Um, we, you know, please we have you can tell us who they are, Omar. Please don't <laughs> hold back. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Uh, so you know, Innovis has a program with a car maker as BMW with our first uh, generation product, Innovis One. Uh, this is the product. As you can see, it's a it's a very small device. And uh, compared to other solutions, it's it's actually it's not a mock-up. It's it's a real product, so it's really working. Uh, and if you would follow uh, a lot of videos that I share on Twitter or LinkedIn, you you would see it's actually working quite well. And that's a product that is already going to high volume production and going to be automotive grade by the end of the year. Now, going to your question about the price point, so. Um, the price point uh, curve uh, has to go down dramatically in order to penetrate the market and reach the low, low, lower grade cars. It starts always with the premium cars, uh, primarily by the German companies such as BMW, Daimler and Audi. Uh, those are companies that have sufficient volume of cars that can sell 
at a higher cost, so they can absorb a LiDAR that costs $1,000. But obviously, if you want to go to uh, the rest of the companies that are selling at higher volumes, uh, you need to the LiDAR to get to uh, sub $500. So Innovis One uh, supports uh, the first use case. Uh, we, uh, we just announced a, few, a couple of months ago our second generation LiDAR, which is Innovis Two. Uh, which has a significant cost reduction of uh, 70%. And actually, it's not only a reduction of cost, it's also a very significant improvement in the performance. Uh, so we see that uh, as our step forward in order to reach a, a broader uh, opportunities, uh, not just the premium cars. Uh, and I think that, you know, I, I can talk about, you know, the difficulties of bringing an autonomous car to the market one of them, and I think that it's a blind spot. I think in, in like people not really, maybe uh, you know, gone through uh, many programs like that as we did in the last three and a half years. To fully validate an autonomous car is a very very uh, complex process. You need to record millions of kilometers, and any change you do to the hardware or software, you need to repeat it over and over. <clears throat> and basically, car makers. Uh, that wants to go to a full autonomous car, they need to do all of those tests on their own, uh, meaning that they, you know, they use tens of cars around the world, and it's a very expensive process. And they need to get to sufficient confidence uh, to the point they feel confident enough they can actually uh, ship cars that drive themselves and take full responsibility for anything that might happen on the road. That's a quantum leap. For, for car makers, because anything that might go wrong, they are responsible. So I think that what we are trying to do now is uh, open the market of LIDARs for level two plus. And I'll try to explain why it's so important. So a level two plus uh, car features, it's the same as a level three, meaning that the car drive itself. The main difference, and it's, a, it's kind of a hack for car makers, they don't take any responsibility because the car drives itself, but the person needs to hold the wheel and look at the road and to engage if something goes wrong. That's what Tesla is doing. Um, and people are, uh, they like this feature, they want this feature, but it's not safe enough because as we see, there are accidents in this case. So adding a LiDAR for such a platform uh, not only improves the safety of this feature, it also allows the car makers to uh, do crowdsourcing or validation of testing of such a platform that eventually can reach level three because it supports uh, all of the, I would say the feature sets of the different uh, sensors and using uh, the driver as a safety driver uh, to measure uh, the maturity of the platform. So they can incrementally upgrade the software to the point that it works well and basically reach level three uh, much safer, much faster and, and much cheaper in regards to cost of validation. So I think it's really, I see it as the only way to reach full adoption of level three eventually. It has to go through level two plus. Most car makers are not as technical and are not in, I would say that don't have the appetite um, to develop an autonomous car on their own kind of uh, expense and take the risk. Uh, so I think that the only way for the market to reach level three is uh, through level two plus and we, we enable it through a LiDAR, which is cheap enough to be uh, that people that buy a level two plus are willing to pay for it because eventually people should be uh, willing uh, should uh, to, to pay 
uh, for a level two plus that includes a lidar that meets level three. And you know, for our, by our understanding, uh, the barrier is the five hundred dollar. That's the figure that we were chasing in the last few years. Yeah, um, it's fascinating. You know, uh, when that tweet that Alex was uh, was referencing earlier uh, came out, I I noted that it's it's fascinating how. Um, uh, the companies that that always say you don't need lidar uh, are companies that don't have uh, real autonomous vehicles. They're they're in in ADAS, and uh, that's interesting in of itself. But but what's really interesting is this uh, fact that uh, now you lidar companies are actually going into the ADAS business. Uh, no wonder maybe they're a little bit nervous. But like you know, and I think that that you know a lot of people understand that you know doing. Because of the the single point of failure redundancy issues that you mentioned earlier, um, that doing full autonomous with you know maybe vision only or or vision and like some radar perhaps that that that's not enough. But I think you know there's definitely a very common perception that that ADAS you know because you always have that human as the fallback, you know you can get the you you can use cheaper hardware right. A lot of a lot of companies seem to do that. Why why is aware lidar companies going into ADAS? Why do you what what is the advantage of of lidar in ADAS? First of all, you're right. I mean, uh, legally or by regulation or by the ISO 262622262, you don't need a lidar. Uh, redundancy the, the driver is the redundant sensor. The problem is that, you know, it's not a very humane feature, meaning that, you know, asking people to passively uh always look at the road and, and engage if something happens. You know, it's proven that it's not really, uh, it's a very, I would say, not a human uh, uh, capability to support, and accidents happen. Now, um, you know, we, we see accidents that happen at Tesla, and, you know, and then uh, the, the next day, the, the world continues. But think about a, a bigger company. Think about uh, a company that has millions of cars out there, and every week, uh, you get two uh, YouTube uh, videos uploaded about another accident, and now they need to accuse uh, their customers for abusing it, whether they held the, the wheel or not looking. Uh, it's a very damaging issue for you know car companies that you know safety is is usually what everyone is is trying to achieve as as kind of their reputation. Um, they cannot go like they cannot uh, play with that kind of. Uh, uh, you know, feature, and they want to add safety, even uh, if it eventually does not give level three, but a, a safer level two plus. So uh, I, I think, and this is basically, you know, I've been talking with many car makers. I've heard that over and over, and you know, based on their understanding and willingness of, to pay for people on level two plus, that's why the five hundred dollar is like the kind of the enabler of, of making that happen. You know, obviously, it allows us to have incumbency, right? I mean, once you're on those platforms for level two plus, ladder companies that will be able to penetrate that market, you know, obviously, would uh, it's a very sticky uh, industry. The, the cost of validation and time is huge. I mean, the so you know, for us, it's a, it's a it's a big opportunity to to take a big part of of the market through that. So you you mentioned that there is quite a bit of you know cost and resources that are required to get to get to that point. And that reminds me of the, what, uh, 70 other LIDAR companies right now that exist in the world. And I'm, and I'm wondering um, what you think is going to happen to 
these LiDAR companies? Do you think they'll be gobbled up by autonomous vehicle companies, which we've seen happen um, recently or the last couple of years? Do you think they'll be absorbed into automakers or just closed altogether? I mean, and, and when once that consolidation is complete, how many do you see really surviving? Yeah, so you know the benchmark, which I think is interesting to look at, is other sectors in automotive which are related to functional safety. And you know we, we all know that uh, you know most of the cars have the airbags, right? And you would expect it to be a commodity because it's everywhere. But in in the automotive space, there are two main players, and also commercial vehicle brakes. There are just two companies that are selling it, and also in ADAS, there aren't too many players. And there, there, there is a reason behind it. Uh, basically, when, when I was talking about the cost, I was not even referring to the cost of development of the LiDAR. I was actually mostly referring to the cost of the validation, which, I, again, I think this is where people are less aware of how much effort and time and cost uh, is involved in that. So in the automotive space, like in any industry, you know, there are companies that are the early adopters, right? The companies that, um, you know, that uh, in, there are the technical leaders that know how to endorse new technologies and other car companies are followers. In, in, the, in the industry of automotive, those are the premium German cars. They have dedicated teams that all they do is basically, uh, you know, choosing new technologies and accompanying companies like us in order to go through all of the automotive grade uh, process. I had discussions with car companies which are much, much bigger than BMW, uh, which, told that, which, which told me very clearly that they have no desire uh, to take any risk with a new technology. And they, they really count on the fact that uh, BMW would uh, be unpatient, I would say, uh, to anything that might uh, go wrong, uh, and basically they they just want to uh, launch with. They can offer much higher volume, and they can uh, help us reduce costs, etc. But nothing even remotely close to the process that we go through with uh, BMW in order to meet all of their requirements. And it's quite interesting that you know you know BMW is 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 a very interesting company because because of their role. Of being a technology leader, uh, they have a certain in, like structure of as a company that can support it. I mean, obviously, uh, for the, for a car company to take technical uh, risks is something that you need to be built in order to do it. So you have you need to have a lot of technical skills that are um, um, duplicates of you know what we have in our company. So uh, we have uh, teams at BMW that are working alongside with my teams uh, on a daily basis uh, just to make sure that everything go uh, as needed. And that's nothing that, uh, you know, close to what you can find in other car companies that are, that are not in the position to take technical risks. And car companies like BMW, Daimler, and Audi, that every uh, five years they, uh, they set a new requirement of a platform um, which you know, it's a long process of uh, RFI and RFQ that eventually needs to meet their requirements. Uh, they freeze that platform and start uh, the automotive process, which is you know cycles of prototyping, A sample, B sample, C sample, etc. 
Um, and that's not only for, for the LiDAR. I mean, the LiDAR is the most, uh, the best thing in the car, but there are other parts that need to go through those uh, cycles of integration. So it's a, it's a very standard process and it takes about five years to bring a new platform to automotive uh, qualification. And you can imagine how, um, you know, how expensive it is. I mean, because it's five years of many people and a lot of tests, in different weather conditions. Uh, and the cost of opportunity uh, for us to, to, to win BMW in this case is just huge because, you know, that's an investment that BMW is doing only with our LiDAR and bringing our LiDAR to automotive grade. Um, other car companies are going to leverage on that. And of course, we are. We are going to do that as well. So if 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 the LiDAR industry follows what has happened in other components of or parts of the automotive industry and you mentioned the the airbags do you see just two or three lidar companies existing after all this is said and done yeah yeah i think that there will be two or three and um i think that you know you asked earlier about whether what are going to, what's going to happen to the others <laughs> so I, I don't think that car makers uh, uh there is a reason for a car maker to buy a LiDAR because eventually there is no uh, single car maker today uh, that can actually provide sufficient volume that justifies uh, uh, the, the cost of, of a LiDAR because companies like Innovis, you know, you know, our ability to scale and offer maturity and cost reduction comes from the fact that we are serving different customers with different volumes. And this is, you know, this is how traditionally uh, car companies work with suppliers. They want to have, like BMW, of course, uh, they have all of the motivation that we will work with others because they will leverage on it. So I think that uh, the, 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 the lighter companies that you see today acquired at, are usually at a very early stage. Those are mostly acquired for uh, lighter companies that, you know, help them understand and qualify a platform that include the LiDARs. And I think that eventually uh, the market would be dominated by a few players uh, that will have automotive grade and can reach scale and, and low cost, lower cost. Can you can you just really quickly get, I mean, we, we've talked a bit about uh, automotive grade on this show in the in the past, um, and it's certainly been sort of a recurring thing in the in the LiDAR space as companies sort of go from being these, you know, sort of technology developers to, to having real products um, out on the road. Specifically to LiDAR, what, like, can you give us a sense of what the challenges are in, in getting from having a, you know, developing a sensor that you know works to one that can really um, endure those rigors and maybe give a sense of, of sort of what it is that they need to be able to stand up to? Yeah, I can tell you, but then you will have nightmares. So <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so automotive grade uh, is uh, mostly used as a buzzword by many LiDAR companies. But uh, being a company that has gone through this process in the last three and a half years, I can tell you it's a, it's it's not just about um, you know going through a, a specific test. It's not just like meeting the temperature uh, range or vibration test. And of course, you you need to go through that process. But actually, the the more interesting part about it is is that automotive grade also refers to the way that you design the system. Uh, functional safety, which is again the curse <laughs> about automotive grade, um, 
you know, it's not only about the, the functional safety, which I was uh, referring to earlier, uh, to provide redundancy between a camera and, and a LiDAR. Within the LiDAR, you need to have many redundancies. And there is uh, a lot of work of functional safety to make sure that uh, no single point of failure uh, can create uh, a loss of, of the product. I mean, the, the LiDAR needs to be, it's defined as an ACLB of uh, D. Uh, which which basically means that you know it's 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 not okay to have any failure basically uh, kind of like once in a, in a billion years or something like that um, it is okay uh, to have degradation for example if mud for example is thrown on the on the lidar and you need to clean it um, it's it's uh, you know by design it's it it degrades the the range of the lidar. But you have to be able to report on it. Okay, so some lidars, for example, have it very difficult to see short range because of the dynamic range of the lidar. Um, you know, so we have the ability to actually see drops on on the on the window of the of of the lidar, and we can report for it, and then you know we can clean it. So so it's 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 about you know uh, different tests as as you can imagine but it's also about uh going through a process where you design the system in a certain way and there are stages of maturity that you need to go through and those are um i would say uh you know we we are we get BMW and Magna which is our tier 1 uh and i think you you've met with uh, Swami Kotagiri in one of your uh, uh podcasts so um so they give us guidance on that. Now, it's not only about the product, it's also about the company. So for us to be a supplier to automotive, we also need to go through different certification. Okay, it's, uh, For example, uh, we just recently got our VDA, which is uh, basically definition of how you manage suppliers because you know we need to be automotive grade, but also for all of our components, which we source. I mean, we have our unique components, but there are components like Resistors, <laughs> etc., uh, that needs to go to meet a certain um, you know uh, guidelines, and so we need to be VDA compliant. Uh, and it's also a spice automotive spice, which is uh, rules on the way that you write the code. Okay, so you know we go through uh, you know we, we work with experts that uh, guide us, and we go through um, uh, I would say a test uh, with the client that. You know, making sure that we, we we comply with all of the rules that are related to functional safety, and uh, and it's it's really it's like forty percent overhead. Uh, you know, for for a team that is developing, uh, uh, you know, technology, it's uh, it's something to to manage. Can you uh, can you tell us a little bit about the actual technology itself? Like how far how far could your sensor a function when you first started? Where is it today? What do you see one or five years from now, the capabilities of the sensor? Wow. So, you know, we started- That's a lot of questions, by the way. You can answer it any way you like, but, no, you it's, know, uh, it's, a, it's, it's important because human beings no, can it's, see it's, uh, really well when they're young and not so well when they're older. LiDAR only gets better, right? Yes. And, you know, the funny story is that we, we started in 2016 and the benchmark in the market was you know you know the 64 lines uh, spinner, and you know we didn't know anything about automotive to be honest. Like I didn't know anything about automotive, 
I thought that if I will make that cheap enough and, and small enough, you know, it's like I, I won the lottery. <laughs> uh, but then talking with uh, customers, like we learned that what they what they really look for is about something which is about two orders of magnitude, uh, you know, better. Like they don't want 80 meters, they want two, 200 meters, not half a degree, like 0.1. Now they want like even higher than that. And and we had to dive uh, deep into the technology in order to really bring it there. Now we knew that we have enough time. We knew that it's going to like the market is not happening tomorrow, like people maybe thought in 2016. We knew it's going to take um, at least three or four years before we need to start really get where we need. So we built the teams uh, in order to develop all of the components. Like we we designed uh, three main components at Innovis that we saw as as really the way to achieve high performance based on nine of five. Again, going to the kind of the question of cost, we knew that uh, the only way to reach low cost is by using nine of five nanometer because uh, basically, you know, this, all the whole semiconductor industry works on silicon, and the only way to work with silicon is nine of five. And you know, now it's it's on us to solve the problem of performance of nine of five. So. We built the different components that you know that solved that problem. Of course, it took us a couple of years. To your question, uh, we had different milestones of of performance, um, and the name of each milestone was a, a, a specific lighter company. <laughs> so um, we kind of uh, we named the, the milestone by the names of different products um, of uh, different uh, peers, <laughs> um, and. Uh, it's it's interesting, like, uh, you know, Innovis One, which is the product we have today, you know, we th- there was times that was like, I was trying to imagine how it will look like. And uh, and today, it's like, it's cr- I don't know if you've seen any of our videos. I, I think that we're connected on LinkedIn. So if you're a human being, uh, you might be able to see it because I'm kind of uh, spamming my LinkedIn on many videos. Um, it looks amazing. And the, the interesting is that now we're working on Innovis 2. And again, I can't imagine how it will look like because uh, it's going to be really another order of magnitude better. And it's quite uh, it's quite amazing. People ask me about where I see it's going. It ha- like it's, it's going in a direction where uh, the, the market... Uh, you know, the performance issues would not be a, a matter anymore. Like you'll get any resolution you want, frame rate range. And then from there, it's just like to, to reduce the cost and it needs to be uh, sub $100. And like people are shouting at me, uh, don't say $100 because it's like everybody's saying $100. But, you know, for, for full adoption in the automotive, it's clearly it has to go there. Like it's like it, it, radars were a few thousands of dollars, uh, you know, eight years ago. Now they are below one hundred dollar. I'm sure that at that time nobody could imagine how it could be so cheap as it is today. Uh, you know, seeing uh, the, the 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 huge steps that we're able to do in in our technology uh, from the first generation to the second generation and, and the third. I I have no doubt that lidars eventually would be. Uh, below $100, and I think that all of the discussion about why you need the LiDAR is going to be just, uh, you know, uh, something that, you know, one day, you will, you know, we will all remember 
uh, that uh, you know someone used to question the, the, the need, but it's it's going to be you know uh, going in, it's going into prime time. <laughs> Yeah. So, so different um, applications, you know, require sort of very different uh, uh, kinds of lidar, right? Um, uh, you know, obviously for something like trucking, you, you know, super long range. I mean, lots of lots of differences. Um, you, uh, your first big contract, as you as you mentioned, is with BMW, um, and this is for a level two plus level three system, uh, right? And and so I'm, I'm curious, sort of in terms of how you look at the markets that Innovis wants to be a part of, um, you mentioned sort of autonomous vehicles are, are taking a little longer to get here. We've had guests from other LiDAR companies talk about diversifying even out of automotive completely, but but within automotive, there's lots of different opportunities. So how do you think about the, the market opportunity? Where does where does Innovis want to be? Uh, wh- what applications are you targeting? Yeah, I think one of the applications that we see as a you know where we have high value is is the shuttle business. Uh, you know, in opposed to the level two plus level three, which are mostly highway, um, the shuttle business is is th- those are urban creatures. Those are uh, vehicles that are driving not so fast uh, in a predetermined route, which you can train over and over. And I think those will hit the market soon. Now, uh, if you think about that kind of vehicle, and those are usually uh, very long and some also very high. So uh, using a, a spinner is not very efficient because you you basically you know you meet mostly the roof if you use one. So you need to use you know several uh, spinners and then you don't really leverage on the 360 uh, ability. So and and also you get a lot of blind spot because it's very high and then you don't see the surrounding of the car and. You know, for an urban uh, vehicle, it's it's not very good. So, you know, having a sensor which is so small and you can actually, you need anyway several, and you can mount it, you know, at low height around the vehicle, an automotive grade, low cost, etc. at high volume, uh, you know, gives us uh, a huge opportunity. And there are programs that we are uh, working on as such. So that's kind of like on the, you know, transportation, not, uh, you know, not passenger cars. Uh, and as you said, there are, there are like tons of applications. I, I get every day, uh, you know, another email from someone who has a startup about something uh, that wants to use a 3D camera, you know, a 3D sensor. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a great believer in, uh, you know, automation of, of anything. Uh, so, you know, having that kind of capability to see, uh, at uh, you know, with uh, a 3D camera, uh, would open up a lot of opportunities uh, from smart cities to conjunctions uh, and cranes and and even space. I mean, you can't imagine, really, tons of things. Wait, wait, hang on a second. Space? Are we talking about uh, like docking systems for spacecraft? Uh, the ISS? Can we talk about that. Um, so you know. There are things that are related to really uh, vehicles on on the ground that wants to be able to to do uh, some kind of uh, you know mobility <laughs> services, uh, uh, and then there are also uh, you know I, I heard also something which is related to uh, space debris. Uh, I hope I'm saying it right. Uh, so you know it's. Uh, there, there are several. It's not our focus, obviously, but those are just things that we come across uh, from day to day. 
Is is qualifying for space grade harder than uh, than automotive grade? <laughs> it's a good question. I I hope I I have no idea. To be honest, I'm uh, I'm I'm not dealing with that. <laughs> <laughs> but you are dealing with shuttles. Um, yeah. You see that as a near term. When you say near term, um, are you thinking around the same timelines that we're hearing? Uh, from the AV developers, you know, 2025-ish, sometimes a little bit earlier in terms of, you know, commercial scaling or um, see, do you see it earlier than that? And, and what, what shuttle companies are you working with? Okay, uh, so earlier than 2025, uh, and obviously I, I can't say uh, the names of the companies we work with, uh, but it's... Uh, the plan is to go earlier, and I don't think it's a it's a very challenging task because those vehicles are are, are geofenced and they are using uh, high definition maps. Using a lidar gives you to abil- the ability to have very accurate positioning of the vehicle on the road, and you can think about it as uh, you know like a virtual train because you you can actually uh, know exactly where where this. Uh, a vehicle can uh, is going to be operating, so you can learn over and over this specific route. If and if you see anything that might seem challenging to you, you can actually add something to the infrastructure. If you want to add a beacon to a certain traffic light, or you want to add, uh, you know, signs in different places, or V two V, etc. It's 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 those are tailored made. Uh, applications, so I think uh, you you will see those much earlier than the robot taxis that need to go from anywhere to anywhere. Right. So you'll see these probably on like big corporate campuses or within universities, and then even in urban centers, but like on a shuttle fixed route basis, as yeah. opposed to that free floating. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you if you think about the the task of the driver in that kind of uh, areas it's not it's it's really not meant to be done by a human being it's it's i mean it's very easy right uh, it's th- those are things you can very easily train a system to do and in many cases you know it's it was it's funny but drivers of 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 buses and trucks uh are really hard to find and in in some cases uh the, the limitation of transportation comes only from that so imagine you can push a button and and actually order ten more buses that can cover a certain area uh, where there is no sufficient population that justifies the cost of the driver. Uh, it's really you know it's going to change the way that uh, you know trans- public transportation is, is going to operate. Um, so we're we're running out of time here. Um, I just, um, I, I kind of wanted, I had one more question. I don't know, Alex, Kirsten, do you guys have anything burning you really want to get in here at the end? Ed, you you close the show unless Alex is really itching here. Alex? Yeah, sure. so um, there are a lot of LiDAR companies out there. Um, and how many independent LiDAR companies do you think the market can support in automotive? Well, he already said. Three, I mean, in five years, do you think there's going to be Indivisible be an independent company? Yeah, sure. I, I think that you know what what we are 
doing. Uh, for example, with BMW and uh, no, now with other car makers, uh, you know, is trying to build, um, you know, uh, a technology that eventually would serve many car makers, which will allow scale and, and cost reduction. Uh, we have relationship with four tier ones, which is actually, you know, also another subject which, you know, I don't know if we have time to talk about, but it's very, very meaningful in automotive. Uh, you know, ladder companies talk about uh, selling to car makers. I want to say that any ladder company that tells you that they have, um, you know, a serious production deal, which is not doing it with a tier one, is probably more like uh, advanced technology project. No car maker in the world would be accepting to take such a critical element in their car that goes into millions and risk their supply chain uh, through a tier two, a startup. Uh, when it comes to supply chain, the, like the, this is where the humor goes away. <laughs> uh, and, and the feel, free, wait, wait, feel free to bring more humor to the answer. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. Don't stop. Uh, I, I, there is a joke at the end. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so really, I mean, wh- when it comes to warranty and liability, this is where you, you, you meet kind of like automotive. You know, when, when it comes to uncapped liability, recalls, those are where everybody starts to kind of, uh, you know, feel, feeling uncomfortable, you know, in their chairs because, like, it's a new technology, it's a new industry. Nobody knows really, you know, what's going to happen and everybody's, like, really shivering. Now, in this situation, a car maker, uh, you know, they want to have a tier one, substantial tier one that knows and has the experience of bringing such technologies to the right uh, maturity and can actually stand behind this in order to make sure nothing goes wrong in the process, even after the launch. And, you know, uh, you know, BMW, obviously, you know, they can look at us and like, okay, uh, if something goes wrong, you know, of course they, can, they can't really expect that we can uh, do anything about it. And they need a tier one. Uh, to be behind this, to, to make sure that the industrialization is done in the right way. So, you know, our relationship with 40 ones uh, gives us that ability. Now, I, I want to add something that I think is also important. You know, we have 40 ones. Each of the tier ones that we work with could have worked with any of the other, other companies, right? I mean, they had the full visibility to what they can offer, what is the technology, what is the price, what is the opportunity. And I'm sure that you know that tier ones do not work, do not want to work with the same technology that other tier ones have, because otherwise, you know, in this case, they, they actually, it's very hard for them to compete because, you know, it's, it's harder to show, you know, the difference. And, uh, you know, we all remember that Mobili was a case where nobody wants to repeat, right? Because Mobile are working with all of the tier ones and they're all racing with the same technology. Um, having uh, multiple tier ones that could have worked with any other tier one while we were are already working with some, you know, should give you a good confidence that they made the decision based on realizing that, you know, our technology is the right one for this uh, industry. And and that's something that should give confidence for anyone who's confused. And I'm sure many are confused. You say over and over there are many ladder companies out there, but there is one ladder company that has a serious production with a tier one, 
have multiple tier ones and can actually show a product that works well and going into automotive grade and now going to high volume production. So let's see how it plays out. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I, you know, LiDAR is such a, a cutting edge sort of high tech thing. It, it's fascinating that um, a lot of uh, uh, sort of positioning in the space is not necessarily just about sort of pushing the technology the farthest. It's really about sort of uh, getting it to a state of reliability. And then also, as you say, like the the industrial um, support for it, which I think uh, imagine a lot of people who get into this don't at first really understand how important those two things are, right? Technologists yeah. tend to think technology is the most important thing. Well, just to, to wrap up sort of how, how is that uh, sort of experience been for you coming from, you know, maybe a technology background to, to sort of learning about this whole automotive ecosystem? Has it been uh, uh, challenging? Has it been easy? Has it been fun? Has it been, <laughs> what's it, what's that like? Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, I, I think that uh, I think being in automotive is probably uh, uh, the most difficult thing you can uh, you can ask for as a startup. I mean, before I started Innovis, I never thought ever in my life that I would have a startup in automotive, and, and now I can say actually why it's difficult. Uh, it's it's a very difficult uh, industry, bec- also because of the tier one, uh, really uh, because of the structure of, of the market. Because you know, for a tier two, you need your door to the market are the tier ones, uh, and that creates a lot of uh, difficulties. We we managed to solve that problem, but it was very very difficult. Having multiple tier ones is it very difficult? Like moving from one to two is difficult. Uh, but eventually, what it, it is what you, like, you need to have, and you know, we're continuing to improve our products. We're continuing to broaden our relationship in in the industry. And you know, and you know, we believe we are on the on the on the right path <laughs> to unlocking that industry. Great. Well, we are out of time, uh, but Omar Kalaf um, of Innovis, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to talk to us today. It's uh, it's been really fascinating. Thank you very much. And we will see you all again on another episode of the Atonicast. Cast.